0: All right, guys, we have a special guest in the house today. We have Doby
1: McDevitt.
0: McDevitt. Right. Uh, he's uh, one of those guys uh, that is coming to our church, what, a year and a half now?
1: Well, I put both feet in this walk about a year. I've been coming in and out for about five six years. Okay.
0: Yes. So in and out, uh, just playing with Jesus a little bit, well, uh, trying to work some things
1: out in your life? Very much so. I came here actually on community service. Uh, I'd met somebody through AA, Renee Rodriguez, and he referred me to Pastor Nofol, and through that, started coming. I'd never gone to church really in my life, you know, sporadically. Tried to read the Bible and, you know the part where you have to love your enemies. Uh, I was like, no, we're, we're living in a war zone. What are you talking about? Yeah. So um, it took a long time for the words to to hit my heart. You know yeah. what I mean? To take them scales off my eyes. Yeah, That's to, come be, to become real time. to you, huh? Right. So it took five years, and then at the end of it, uh, you know, not to jump ahead here, but what happened is, is that I had all these mentalities, and I was trying to— a uh, vengeance and family vengeance of somebody with my family and, and other things that I was trying to deal with had a lot of anger and rage that I thought I had to keep, you know, I was getting wound up uh, again, I just got off probation and uh, I knew what was calling, you know and I was old enough to know why I was wound up, when I was younger I didn't understand, right. I needed action, I needed adrenaline I want to party and I knew that the Jig was up because that little voice inside me was saying, hey, look, you know, you're 55 years old and you've, you know, you've stayed out of prison and and you're alive. You've had so many brushes with death, you know, it's done. You know, either you've been going for five years and either this is going to, you're going to ask God to help you or because you can't help yourself, you know. That's good. That's actually
0: a a very good intro. Uh, So that gives you a little bit of uh, direction where we're going today. Uh, Doby has an amazing, amazing testimony. That's why I, uh, I was praying about, uh, some, some guests and then I was looking around the sanctuary and I seen you over there with your head down praying. I was just like, the Lord said, go, go grab him right now before he makes plans. <laughs> uh, but I want to know, I want to know who Doby was in, in fifth
1: grade. In fifth grade, uh, I was always, you know, I've always been a good hearted guy, uh, I was raised with certain roles uh, that you don't take disrespect from people. Um, and, you know, I was always fighting. You know, I like to fight. You um,
0: tell me in what, third grade, you hit somebody over the head in with a chair? Kindergarten. kindergarten. I
1: wasn't in kindergarten in two months. I hit somebody over the head with a chair because okay. the girl that I liked uh, had an accident on herself and he kept teasing her. A guy named Richard, we became friends later on. And I just picked up a chair and just knocked him out with it. And um, remember, that was the start of it. Yeah. So
0: I was always the bully slayer. I don't. I, I mean, for whatever reason, I I never liked those guys. Right. You know, and I, if I had a
1: if I had to fight them, I would. Same here, and and I didn't like uh, people that snitched. Yeah. So that's when I would go after somebody. I, I didn't go after somebody just for the heck of it. Yeah. You snitched on me. I'm smoking a cigarette uh, or something, (laughs) you know, on the side of the library, then you got a problem. But I just didn't pick, you know. Yeah. So fifth grade, uh, was you in the sports? No. um, I was kind of a wild kid already. And uh, fifth grade, I think I smoked my first joint. I think I was about 11. Wow. My brother was uh, into drugs. And you have an older brother? Oh uh, yeah, he's five years older. Okay. And I was the good uh son because at thirteen he ran away to Mexico for a month. Wow. And then at fourteen he ran away to Florida for a month. Wow. So when I was coming up, was you know, and I wanted to house. be like him, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I smoked my joint at eleven, probably drank my first beer at ten. Wow. So I was already starting to party and my friends were, you know, wild and all and then when I got in junior high. Your heard,
0: friends were wild, y'all were ten.
1: <laughs> we we were still we were still wild.
0: Well, what was the home like?
1: Well, let me tell you, mom so, and dad at, at, at that young age. Well, uh, and I covered this the other night in, in the youth deal. Uh, I remember when I was ten. I, I was a good kid. I had a big conscience. I was always fighting, but I had a big conscience. I'd do something wrong, and I would actually tell on myself. It would weigh on me, you know. And I remember when I was ten. Me and my brother were watching TV with my mom. We were waiting on my dad to get home. And my mom jumped up, grabbed a gun, and shot two rounds through the front door, okay, so and and told us to get in the back room, called my dad. He had a special phone that was dug underground that went to the telephone line. You couldn't clip it on the house. And so my dad came home, and uh, he said, y'all go to bed. You know, he said it was actually the special needs guy down the street jiggling doorknobs. That didn't make no sense, you know. I didn't know what he did for a living, see. So uh, my dad said, uh, Shirley, my mom, she said, you know, what I've done here is I've uh, put an open contract out on the house uh, with uh, Charles, and I'll just say Joe. And if somebody robs our house, then, you know, uh, they're going to kill their family and then— So,
0: so explain—okay. Uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, background, we so we have uh, half of our listeners are from the other side of the world. Okay. Um, so w- when you say open contract, what does that mean?
1: That means that uh, they were hit men and that if they came to the house, then they were going to kill, you know, that's what they did for a living was uh, kill people because my dad was a bookmaker, gambler, and ran underground casinos, and those you know, criminals have the most money, and they spend it like liquid water. Yeah. So they became his close friends. When it comes up missing, you can't call the police. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, my dad was a formidable force himself. Uh, but, you know, uh, and Houston was wide open, like I said. In 59, all the way up, there was no organized—I mean, he was an organized crime, but his own. There right. was no mafia families. He was Irish. Uh, I was raised with a lot of old mustache Pete rules, uh, though. Uh, regarding you know, family comes first. Protect women and children. Don't run around on your wife. Don't run with other people's wives. Uh, and you know, just love your family unconditionally. But if somebody comes up, uh, and tries to take what you have or hurt your family, then you're as ruthless and vicious as possible.
0: Yeah, people don't realize that there's. There's, like, rules among thieves, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of those things are the same thing that you would teach your children uh, within, like, a, say, a spiritual f- family. A lot of those things are the same. Right. Uh, within th- the, ho- the home. Right, but when the father goes and does his business or whatever he does outside of that is is something different than than he teaches his family
1: he He lived a double life I'll yeah. we'll get to that, and my mom uh she was very she was ninety percent a housewife, quiet demur, cooked everything from scratch, kept the house clean, kept us clean. But the other 10% of her, uh, she had a vengeance streak a mile long. She was Old Testament vengeance. If somebody messed with her family, open the Bible and pass the bullets mentality. Teeth for a tooth, eyes for an eye. And the lady was fearless.
0: Mm, He said teeth for a tooth, eyes for an eye. Y'all better keep y'all's ears (laughs) open because he's speaking some stuff here if you don't listen. Um, Wow. All right. I'm going to try to keep this. I'm going to try to keep this uh, in kind of like a you know young to old thing. Sure. So, I'm assuming there wasn't a whole lot of faith going on in the household. You, you said something about the, you know she would open the Bible. I mean, was there like maybe a foundation for
1: them or your mom? Funny enough, she was a follower of Billy Graham. Oh wow! When she was young, wouldn't even open a, a beer for my grandfather on Sundays. Wow! But she met my dad. And when she'd get mad, she'd call him the devil because, you know, she quit going to church. Of course, what he did for a living and his associates, it didn't match. If we went to church, it was very sporadically, like one or two times because it hit the fan. So they're arguing.
0: Something would happen and that would drive y'all to church. And she would lean on kind of some upbringing. And then she would fall right back into what she was doing.
1: And she was volatile and uh, not towards me or my brother. And like I said, they showed us unconditional love, but anybody else. My father would have to run, even my dad, you know, uh, I guess to sum her up the best, and she was a very nurturing, very good mom, but sum her up the best, my dad, he called giving her air. He had to leave the house for a couple of days, and he went to a friend of his, which was one of the contract killers. He had an open contract. He had a club here, and my dad was sleeping on the couch, and my mom called and said, is Dobie there? And he said, well, yes, he is. My dad got up like, why would you give me up, you know? and he got on the phone and my mom said, "Oh, I cooked dinner and we have uh, I want to watch Johnny Carson uh, tonight." So that so she was telling him that it blew over. Yeah. Okay? So my dad got off the phone and looked at him and said, "Well, why'd you do that?" you know? And he said, "Look, I don't know if Shirley's going to run her car through the, this building or if I'm out in Vegas in the middle of a casino, she's going to say, "I don't care how many people you killed, Joe, but you don't lie to me because she takes lying as a disrespect." Right? Oh, well, wow. And my dad's still looking at him, and he said well you're the one who's hiding from her i 'm not wow my dad started laughing, and but that was my mom, you know yeah. she was wow, yeah, she was off the chain so and I also realized that I got the personality of both of these people yeah. you see I, and now I just figured that out six or seven months ago because uh, we were very close circle. nobody knew other than one family of what we did now my Mom's side of family, my dad's side of family, they knew, but no neighbors, nobody knew. Wow, because you know he was in a legal business. Yeah, 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 and, uh, and that's
0: a, that's something um, that you that you used to be able to do. Right, Th- there was uh, people used to keep their mouth shut, mm-hmm. uh, and you could see that from you know the very highest of the organized crime all the way down. Um, but when stuff like the RICO Act and stuff like that started coming out. It almost made people snitches, right? Right. Because I mean, they were they were stringing you
1: up for everybody's dirt. Everybody's forty, sixty, eighty years that were not playing games. Yeah, for
0: for little things that they could get on you because you was a, a part of you know the organized crime.
1: Um, what's I, I want to mention? What's funny is, is that after I learned this and what my dad did for a living, because I thought he had two businesses, he sat down, the lessons started, and he sat down and had me watch a show called A Billion to One Shot. It was on PBS. Was about uh, how many witnesses got killed within 10 years that witnessed the JFK murder? Okay. okay? How old were you? I was 10. Okay. Okay. Uh, early. and Early. And that's after I found out what he did. And <clears throat> so I watched this show, and I was like, he asked me, well, you know, what did you think about this show? I said, well, it's kind of weird they all died. I mean, what do you want from me? I'm 10 years old. Yeah. And he said, no, it's not weird if they had kept their mouth shut. Wow they would have been okay. They wow. wouldn't have died. So if you have any, whatever you do in your life or whatever you see, you keep your mouth shut, and if you have any problems, come to me and I'll handle it. Ten years old. Ten years old. Wow. And that's where it started. Was Was there drugs going on in, in, in your family, mom and dad? No, no. Okay. They, my, my dad called people weed heads that smoked weed. Oh, he was man. old school. <laughs> Reaper madness. Yeah. He and, uh, no, he, he didn't like drugs at all. But, you know, of course, he'd be saying that as he's sitting there drinking a beer. Yeah, did. yeah. We, so, we, they didn't you know. think alcohol was a drug back then. Right. You know. They were very, you know, he taught me how to survive everything. He he was born in 1918, lost his dad in 1923, raised by his grandfather that was born in 1865, real old wow. school rules. Yeah. He went through World War II. D Day, survived a plane crash, and then he survived, you know, over thirty years and uh, being a criminal. Well, that so that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense the way you was raised because you was really raised a generation before you. Yes, that you should have been raised with those type of right uh, ideas. What men,
1: codes. what men should be. And wow, uh, you know, that makes, a, that makes but it. I mean, but kept a lot me hung sense. up. Yeah, because I thought I could do anything. Yeah, you know, wow. So.
0: You started learning this the business that I, what your dad did at an early age. Um, now you're ten years old. You you're kind of experienced in some, um, you know, adult things already. Right. Um, so what was your what was your teenage years
1: look like? Teenage years, I was uh, always wilding. I was getting in trouble at school for fighting. I got put back in the ninth grade for fighting. I had to go to school downtown. I was on probation at the time. Dad didn't get me out of that. He thought, well, maybe that, you know. Uh, what, what
0: was the the atmosphere at home because of the way you were you were acting? Was it beatings? Was it like no?
1: Uh, my dad maybe whipped me like two or three times. My mom was the enforcer. Yeah, and uh, you know she'd snatch you up by your hair. Mm. You know uh, when you try to run away from her. And I only disrespected her once, got in her face. I was fifteen, thought I was cocky. Yeah. And she said, Son, I love you, but I'll jump off that refrigerator with a hammer and clunky in the head. Don't talk to me like and wow. right when it came out of my house, I said, I just uh. messed up. <laughs> And they'd never turned she never turned that towards me. I'd seen her go after people, yeah, my dad included. And uh but she, you know, she just said, Oh no, you're not talking to me like that. So what was the discipline like? Um we pretty much got everything we wanted. Yeah, you know, my dad would always get me out of jams. Uh, he had contacts in the police and the DA's office, um, and my parents were good people at home, but they were very unself-aware of their actions. Especially my mom, when my she'd go after my dad because he'd come home drunk. She didn't like it, and they uh, things would get wild. Yeah, you know, uh, and. But then the next day she'd be sitting on his lap, and she'd be cooking breakfast, and you know, they might pull guns on each other, just being straight up, wow, and shoot at each other's feet, wow, one night, and then because she's sober, you know, and then the next day they're cooking breakfast, everything's cool, and now we're going to church or we're going on vacation for about a month,
0: wow, you know. So as a kid, like, how did that? How did you? How did you like separate like what love was and.
1: Uh, I knew unconditional love for family, and I knew my mom was volatile uh, in a way, but I kind of thought it was normal, too, you know? And kind of find out she had manic depression. Mm. So... Um, but it almost teaches you like you can work through anything. Right. You know,
0: like you can be mad at each other, but you still can come, come out of it, you know? Right.
1: And as long as, and and another thing that I was taught is loyalty. You're loyal to your wife and you're loyal to your associates and friends, mm. okay? Uh, you treat people with integrity. And that's what I learned from them seeing their relationship. My dad really loved my mother, put up with a lot of stuff that no other people would put up with. And I seen that, and that was unconditional love, showed us unconditional love. And, uh, you know, he was always trying to get me to snap. And he said, you're just floating around like a leaf. You don't know what's going on, and you get in trouble, and then, I'm, you know.
0: It's so, a Bible scripture or something like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's 17, 18, it, I guess at what point um, did you start working with your dad?
1: I didn't work with him, okay. funny enough. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I took care of him later on in life, I said, I want to do what you do. And he said, no, there's no more integrity in this. And I'm going to tell you the truth. you got the biggest heart I've ever seen, Doby. Half of you. But the other half is hell on wheels. It's somebody's uh, vengeance and you like fighting and, and all that. He said, Somebody's going to sneak up on you and shoot you in the back of the head because you won't let 100 bucks go. Uh, or you're going to get in the violence end of this business and your heart... And that other side of you is going to be in conflict. Wow. And you're going to be miserable and you're going to get on drugs and everything else. And he was right.
0: Wow. So, so at one point, so you kind of, you know, experienced with some, uh, really some, you know, adult stuff through your childhood. You've seen a lot of things at this time. Did you did you see a difference between you and your other friends?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, I was raised that society's rules are for them. and. You know, I follow my dad's the way he raised me. And other than that, you know. So almost
0: like a civilian, military Oh, well, I type looked at middle. everybody
1: as citizens. Yeah. You yeah. know, law abiding citizens. And then there were us outlaws. Outlaws. And we did what we want. And if I got, if I couldn't solve it with violence or crime, uh, violence or cash, it just couldn't be solved. You know, wow. but personally, in my inner family, I knew it was unconditional love, which I've learned now, you know, through this walk, it's unconditional love. Uh, but everybody else, you know, violence or cash. if get myself out of a jam. So when did you
0: find yourself really kind of falling into this, this whole lifestyle?
1: I would say um, in my 20s. I had uh, started, you know, I'm a bill collector by trade. And back in them days, everybody was white-collar uh, criminals, uh are convicts. They're drunks and alcoholics and I uh, learned a lot from these people while I was pretty young. And uh, I remember my dad was still alive and I was bringing in boxes for Christmas. And I made pretty good money as a book collector. And I'm bringing in like a mass amount of boxes. And he's looking at me smoking a cigarette and he's like... And he knows that I just pulled some scam to get this money because I just spent about 3000 bucks in the 1980s for my da- uh, daughter's Christmas. She wow. had every toy imaginable. So that's when it probably started, but even before that, uh, people would ask me to collect debts for them, and uh, even in high school, you know, once or twice, and I actually had to collect a debt for a guy that owned a friend of mine money, and his dad wrote a check for it, because we knocked on the door, and his dad answered. Wow. And he said, yeah, I understand he owes you for some pot. How much? I was like, you know, because I done hit the kid in school because he got mouthy. Wow. So it was just a pattern, and my violence pattern, uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, one-on-one I was okay, you know. I would take a butt whipping, but uh, two-on-one, then you're going to get, you know, a knife in you, and the violence escalated. So and my dad would always get me out of it. Uh, I wish he would let me catch one of those cases, so that way, even though it would be self defense it was two on one so that way I could see what the justice system was. but he'd always fix it when I think the police would be should be pulling up he'd say and somehow he'd always find out about it, uh whether in school or at a bar, he'd say, "Well, that's taken care of, so you yeah. know it taught me, okay, now I'm above society.
0: you know it's kind of the same thing that happened to my life my My parents would never bail me out mm-hmm. um but but uh my associates would, you know, mm-hmm. there was so much money running through uh, the our street gang that you know, it wasn't nothing to pull out, you know, 5 or six, ten thousand 10,000 to bail somebody out. I mean, that was right. almost expected. Like right. you're doing this dirt right. for them, then, you
1: know, they're going to get you out. So and you're making money for them. Yeah. They want to get yeah. you out Why there to make, make money. Out?
0: Yeah. Cuz the longer you spend in there, the 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 more that people think that now you're working for the other side. Right. So if you get in and out quickly, then, you know, there's less time they can get to you. Right. So, um, so you started seeing yourself in, in, you know, high school, early 20s, kind of being, you know, the, the knucklehead going out and, you know, busting people up for, for. did you see a natural transition in to, build, to later on in your profession or no. that was just happenstance?
1: It, it went with my bill collections because I was, they called them top, they called us top guns, 50, uh, the top people. There was 110 agencies. I could come and go, had managers calling me. I could quit for the summer. I could commit a crime. I usually committed a crime, figure it out, plan it, and do something around May. This is in the 90s. And then I would do it October, so that way we'd have a good Christmas in May. Sometimes I'd take off the whole summer with my daughter. And then I, sometimes I'd take off the whole month of December. But I think uh, things got really transitioned after my mother had committed suicide. Mm. And I just got custody of my daughter. And that uh, twisted me up pretty good. I was, my dad was still alive. And I think that's when I took a real quick right turn. I was going that way anyway, but that's when I took a, a right turn. I started justifying rationalizing, uh, rationalizing all kind of things.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of times there's always a point like in betterness we're good, mm-hmm. you know. We uh the, the God, God created us, so we have that foundation of being good people, but there's there's normally something in uh you can dabble in this and that, but there's if you look at people's life, there's always somewhere the switch goes off, and that's, you know?
1: where, the, and that's where that switch went off. And uh, so, what did that lead to? Uh, that led to me uh, thinking I was above the law and doing crimes, and um, you know, planning certain things and doing certain things that I shouldn't have been doing. Uh, I was also like to party a lot. You know, uh, I stayed loaded thirty years after that. Wow. You know? um, and often, why do you think that?
0: Drugs and alcohol was such a big part of of that. Was it because you lost your mother the way you lost her or just the combination of your childhood?
1: I was already a partier. Yeah. And I you know, party real hard on the weekends, put three or four chemicals in my system, had a very high tolerance, and sometimes during the week. But right when that happened, it became an everyday situation because when she did that, I had about four or five days that I got to grieve. And after that... Uh, And I felt responsible for her uh, suicide because I had a lot of uh, guns around the house. And I didn't know that she was that ill. I mean, she was always volatile and crazy. Uh, So I took that, and I felt responsible for it, and I had to stuff it, you know, after five days. And I had a daughter to raise and a dad to take care of, and it twisted me up, you know. And so I just decided it wasn't a conscious decision, but I thought, you know, hey, I'm just going to stay loaded. I'm going to get through life, you know. Because I didn't do drugs for a month or two. I did drugs for years. Right.
0: So, so how did you balance the two? How did you balance the daughter? I know we talked a little bit about it before we started recording. But how did you balance raising a daughter and being that soft father that she needed? Because you was playing both roles. You were playing mom and dad. Right. Um, and then being this. I mean, this madman mad on the Madman This yeah.
1: It was it came natural because I knew what my father did for a living and my mom would get mad at him and start talking about some of the violence that he'd committed against people that, uh, he treated people with integrity. And when they didn't treat him with integrity, then, you know, he was very ruthless. So I seen, and he was the sweetest man, most patient man I ever met. So I thought, well, I can pull this off. You know, uh, I got a real good heart. So I just kept my heart for my daughter and my family and everybody else, you know, If I heard a 1,000 times 80% of the people don't care you got problems, the other 20% are glad you got them. So if you wasn't in my inner circle family, you know, uh, I'd be out uh, fighting in bars or let's just uh, doing a bunch of crazy things or even committing a crime. And then Monday I'd be, uh, you know, vacuuming the house, cooking dinner, uh, baking her cupcakes, and uh, reading her cat in the hat. It, It was just... And I had a close friend, and he'd come and smile. You know, he'd go out bar fighting with me because I was just two different people, you know. And I just got used to it. Uh, Of course, she found out later, you know, who I was, so... It's crazy.
0: <laughs> I can see you, like, dressed up in, like, the, you know, white clothes and being the Mr. Mom, and then, like, Friday comes, and you put your, like, biker clothes on. and Wow.
1: <laughs> I didn't have a bike. I went in until my daughter turned 18 to get a bike because really? I knew that the way I partied that I was going to end up dead if I, you know. And I always rode my bike blacked out for years and years and years and years. But I just, I didn't want to take that chance. So, um...
0: Was you, were you around, like, the biker's theme? Uh, uh, because my, if you look at you, you look like a biker,
1: right? My, uh, I bought my first wallet at 11 years old. I love that life. Uh, and I still have it, by the way. Oh, wow. I carried it for 40 years. And uh, my mom does not like bikers. My half-sister was hooked into the uh, Banditos. I had another that was actually a Bandito on my dad's side. She did not like that lifestyle. And I always had long hair and... That's when my parents would really fight over me was my hair, you know, and uh, so I just I was always a biker in my heart and yeah. always wanted one, one. But she told me that if I ever brought a motorcycle home, she'd beat it uh, with a hammer, and I knew she would. Yeah. So then uh, when I got custody of my daughter, I just knew, you know, that hey, look, the way I party on the weekends, I'd be dead, you know. So and I had to, you know, at least had some sense on that. I didn't yeah. get one. So how
0: did you how did you get involved in? I know we don't want to get uh, too like uh, graphic about what, the things that you did, but how did you get involved in uh, like you say committing your crimes?
1: Uh a lot of it was boredom. A lot of it was uh, I could sit there, would never write anything down, but I had a militaristic mind. I also uh, studied a lot of regarding guerrilla warfare and warfare. And I would plan A, B, C, you know, and then I would run it through my mind over and over and over. And uh, then I would, you know, uh, do whatever it is that I planned on doing and, uh, you know, blow the money. And I guess that that
0: skill set. You know, like, people started hearing about that, and then they, they would just kind of— Well,
1: I'd contacted somebody, uh old friend of my father's, yeah, and kept his head to the ground on Vietnam vet. He was dying of cancer, and he hooked me up every now and then, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I'd give him some cash for it. I did that for a little while, uh, and I, I don't know if we ought to go into the worst week of my life— yeah, let's go. Okay. So I remember, and this is when all the roosters came to, what, what's the saying? The roosters come to. Uh, I'm, you're talking to the wrong guy. It's an old saying. That's another thing I have, like old sayings from like 1900 because my yeah. dad grew up. Uh, the roosters came to. Hatch or uh, something like to that. To perch or. Something like that. I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah. But anyway, uh, worst uh, week of my life, uh, I woke up with a monitor on my leg. Uh, and the reason why is is that I'd gotten into a altercation with an extended family member, which was my fault. And then what what, what year is this? This is 1995. 1995. My dad has already passed. My mom's passed. My daughter's about eight. I'm just graduating high school. You know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> graduating
0: in 95.
1: And I remember waking up during this week, and uh, got a monitor on my leg, got an open source one on my house, Got an altercation. Uh, I was stumbling drunk. Uh, the extended family member got a drop on me told me to get on my knees. And I told him, I'm not getting on my knees for nobody. That's the way I was raised. You die on your feet. And he pulled the trigger. I boxed him in. And he had a 38 revolver. And when that gun didn't go off, his eyes got big and he clicked it four more times. Wow. And it misfired five times. Now, the irony of it is the bullet's that were in that gun were mine because I had a big uh, case of Silver Tip one fifty eight grain fall off the back of a truck, and uh, I gave him some of them. So wow! Uh, after that response, uh, I went to my trunk. Got always carried five or seven guns. Quickest I was trained the quickest reload is another handgun or another gun. And I got my gun out and because uh, he had ran off not before he hit me in the back of the head with a gun and. I was so mad because every time he pulled that trigger, I was getting madder and more sober. Uh, And he ran in the house, so I grabbed a long gun and just put a whole magazine through the house, 7.62, and went through like Swiss cheese because I special made the bullets. Uh, Put extra gunpowder and stuff like that anyway. So I remember just, I was so mad, I threw the gun down in the grass and went and grabbed the shotgun. I was going to go clear that house, and I heard the police pull up. Or I heard the sirens, like, I got to get out of here. got in a police chase. They got the car, I got away. So uh, I got enough money for attorney and non-arrest bond. Um, it, it's, uh, and, and everything came to roost because, see, I wasn't worried about that monitor and I wasn't worried about just what happened. I'd committed also a crime with a small crew. And I just found out that one of them kept going and they got caught. And they were on a methadone program, which I'll get to in a minute, and they offered him 40 years and he flipped out cuz he's detoxing off methadone just off for 40 years and they actually had to put a straitjacket on him and put him in a rubber room now he was raised to keep his mouth shut but they ain't no telling what he's about to say
0: i don't think that's legal anymore i think there's a, a law now where you can't you can't uh Inter- interrogate somebody mm. when they're coming down off drugs. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it might not be in Texas. I know there's a, a state, because I just I just seen something on that. I, I'm, I'm riddled, I, I love that whole, I don't know. It's, I understand. Yeah.
1: So, I was worried. Which I think
0: is fair, right? Oh, like, I
1: think it's very fair.
0: Yeah, I yeah, mean, I these people, first of all, are you going to get good testimony from somebody that's coming down off right. drugs? Um, but at the same time, you're using their Disadvantages for your advantage.
1: Right, and they might tell you, you know, who shot JFK? Yeah, yeah, exactly. they say anything, you know. So, uh, and I was worried about them connecting that dot with this, uh, and then some other things that I'd done, they've connected. So I'm thinking, God, I'm looking at 50 to 100 years here, man. And uh, I was also on a methadone program. I had a painkiller addiction for years and years. I would get up to 30 a day. Mm. I had six or seven doctors. I had... I stole the uh, prescription pads, I was writing prescriptions, half of them. And uh, even with a family member, we looked, uh, we skipped trace down the, uh, where they made the drug, and we are looking at hijacking one of the trucks, so that way we'd have years of supply. And uh, logistics were off. I had a daughter to raise. I couldn't be gone two weeks. So that's the only reason why we didn't do it. And that's why I was also taking methadone that morning. thought I found my answer, which was really the devil squared by 10, um, So I had all this going on, and every solution that I had, uh, because like I said, I'd plan things and do them, but this was off the cuff, and every solution I had was making it worse. I'm like, God, I'm going to end up on the news, you know, da-da-da-da, and and it was getting worse, and then so I was boxed in, and finally I said, okay, God. And I was mad at God for my mother's suicide. Yeah. You know.
0: And this is 95
1: still. 95. Yes. And uh, I said, okay, God, I tell you what. I need some help here. Let me get probation for this somehow. Let the other stuff go away and let me raise my daughter. Uh, Because my ex-wife had a problem uh, with getting with men that would hit on her. And I had to go after her second husband. And it got ugly Uh, when I went after him. And the only reason why I didn't file charges is I told him, I said, if my daughter gets a hangnail while I'm in uh, jail, prison, I said, then I'm going to take care of you, your brother, your uncles, and everybody else. Wow. I said, there's no doubt. And he believed me, and he should have after I, you know, because that was my intentions. But, uh, you know, I, I just knew I was boxed in, and I'm not a person you box in. So I had to turn to God and, and, and say, God, hey, look, I'll raise my daughter. Because I've seen how hard the world was on women and children, yeah. okay? And I thought, well, I'm just going to raise her to, to be a very lethal woman, And with an enforcer's mentality, you know, but her not live that life. And, but I told God, I said, I'll raise her to be a citizen, law abiding citizen. And I won't, uh, you know, train her like uh, how I was kind of taught, you know, and I'll break that chain. And when that came out of my mouth, I didn't know where that came out of my mouth. But I instantly knew. So then I said, of course, God, I'll change. Well,
0: Was that your heart? Uh, what my daughter? No, was your heart to change or was your heart to get out of the situation?
1: Uh, my heart was to get out of the situation, but I did want to change. Yeah, uh, I thought a man could do anything, and, and I thought I could change myself. Yeah, and I tried, but it didn't work. Uh, but I did raise my daughter to be a citizen. She's a hardworking uh, woman. So what came out of that day? Did, did you finish that the worst day of your life? I finished the worst day of my life. I ended up getting probation because the neighbors all wrote letters for me, and a lot of people showed up. They didn't know I was living a second life. Nobody knew. Okay, You were just the family best. members. And, you know, I was somebody that took care of my father and, uh, before he died, and somebody was raising my daughter and, and, and struggling, you know, and they didn't know anything. Wow. So they gave me probation, and I got to raise my daughter, you know. Wow. Uh, nine years, eight months. I was on paper, so
0: so through that that probation time, you were still just struggling with the methadone.
1: Um. I was still on a methadone program, but it uh, medicated me enough where it kept that. There's something about your brokenness. There's something about certain lifestyles you live, and it starts calling to you, and you get bored every day. You know, there's only so much you can cook and clean and everything else and work. And, uh, it kept me from getting so wound up about it, you yeah. know, and, and you had,
0: you had a, a le- legitimate job at this
1: point, I always st- had a legitimate job,
0: I guess. Yeah. You had, but you was like taking these big extravagant vacations or in and no, out,
1: not, not really uh, Or buying really uh, big stuff. Uh, I would just take off. So me and my daughter would have time to spend together over the summer. I'd take her to the pool all the time and yeah. we got to spend quality time and Remember, I had that monitor on my leg, and she'd already heard the story. This was when she found out, you know, who You're I was. And she's telling some friend of hers and a mom at T.C. Jester Pool that, oh, my dad uh, shot up a house. And I was like, oh, no, because I didn't <laughs> raise my daughter like me. Yeah. Keep her mouth shut. Uh, in a way, I did, but that is when I started teaching her, don't discuss family business or anything regarding me or yourself. Right. Because I was afraid that somebody was going to, you know. Uh, call in and say this guy's up here. You know right. his daughter knows he's shooting up houses, and yeah. Uh, so yeah.
0: So what did that what did that next nine years look like for you personally? You, you was you was working, you was raising your daughter.
1: I was holding on by my fingernails. Yeah, out of eighteen uh, story ledge. A lot of times I
0: was. Uh, well, you're out of the life at this point. No more jobs. No more.
1: No, uh, I was pulling, you know, white collar crimes. So, you know, every now and then, you know, just cause I was getting bored, yeah. but I'd plan it out for a long while. And I was after about five or six years. Uh, I didn't, did it very sporadically. Um, I made sure that my daughter, uh, you know, I'm real strict on her friends and I was real strict on her, uh, you know, school grades but other than that, uh, the only problems me and my daughter ever had was that she would, you know, by the time she was four years old and put her foot in my house, she was running my house and me. And that's where the conflict would always come in, because I'm the type of personality, if I love somebody, I want them to see them happy. Yeah, Might as well give them their way. And uh, and she would just be running me uh, in the house. I'd say, hold on, I'm the parent, you're the child. And she'd back off a while, you know. Uh, so, but, but it was pretty stressful. I was dealing with a lot of, uh, things looking back, I was depressed, you know, um, I was trying to not have that brokenness call me, yeah. you know, and I didn't understand it was brokenness. I'd get wound up like a clock, you know, those clocks you twist up mm-hmm. and then you twist it too much and that spring pops. But, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly you. why, you know, but the methadone helped. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm getting around the system again because I'm getting high every day, you yeah. know. Uh, and I just worked, and I had some tough times. when My daughter moved out, and uh, went and lived with her mom, which didn't work very well. Uh, you know, I got pretty depressed. Other than that, when she came back, it was always uh, I'm always best if I'm taking care of somebody, you know, make sure they're happy. So, uh, but it was it was a rough nine years and eight months, but. So,
0: what was your relationship with God through these? Next nine ten years didn't talk to God not at all
1: I was still mad at God so
0: so after you the pr- promise you get me out of this mm-hmm. you know uh, that was it that was it that was it and you didn't come back to him he got you out of it so no, you were just like
1: uh, actually let me reverse I did go to a ch- uh, to a church in my neighborhood because that five because that that I'd had so many brushes with death by then but that five shot. Uh, revolver that didn't miss that misfired five times, blew my mind. I couldn't figure the odds on it. And I did go to church for a while and they said, how oh, testimony. So who's got testimony? And I thought, okay, why did this happen? Why am I still alive? So I went up there and uh, I told them the testimony and it blew their mind, you know, uh, cause I just told them every detail of it. And, you know, I thought, Hey, that's what you're supposed to do. I ain't never been to church. Yeah, And uh, they were kind of, white bread, not, you know, they were normal citizens, you yeah. know, law by the city, and that blew their mind, you know, and they kind of like got real standoffish after that, you know, and I was just, you know, yeah. you want to testify, for you, you know, yeah. <laughs> I got you. And, and I quit going after that, and uh, I thought, okay, I just put it in the back of my mind.
0: That's yeah. what's so great about our church. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like you can look around, and anybody can walk in our church and see themselves. Right. Somewhere, by somebody. They, you, you can see either the dr- old drug addict, or you can see the, the you know, I see like uh, maybe a Ray Ann that's been serving God her whole life, or and everybody in between.
1: No, that's what you I know? love about this church. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a cross-reference of all kind of, we've got teachers, we've got, you know, ex-gang members, we've got... Bankers, we've got ex bank robbers. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's multicultural. Multicultural. Yeah. We're all on trying to do the same path and follow yeah. God. Yeah. You know, it's that, that's what I loved about this church. Actually, yeah.
0: that's yeah. awesome. So, ten years go by. You got the ankle bracelet off. Mm-hmm. What happens? I,
1: I had the ankle bracelet on two years. Two years. And Probation ten. Ten. Yeah. And after that, my daughter was. I uh, had my first grandchild now. When she had my third grandchild, it was about 2008, and I kind of said, you know what? I said, she is finally stable. I've done my job. I've stayed out of prison. I've stayed alive.
0: And how so, old is she at
1: this point? I think
0: she's 21. No, at that point you were just talking about? 21. I think okay. 21, 22. Well, you, you feel like you, you did your job? Yeah, I did my job. Yeah. So
1: I'm going to go do what I want to do. So I gave her all my stuff. I gave family a bunch of other of my stuff. I gave her all my mom's stuff that I've been carrying around for years. And uh, the rest of it I didn't give away. I just burned in the backyard in a big bonfire. And I said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I still had a small U-Haul stuff from my dad, you know, that I ended up losing anyway. Uh, so I'm going to go do what I want to do. And I'm going to get off methadone. So uh, I got off methadone, gutted it out, went out in the middle of the country Uh, It was three months of like having the double flu sick. Three months. Three months. It was in my fat. I was on it fifteen years. It was in everything in my body, and uh, I couldn't get off the couch for three months. So it was. uh, How would you support yourself at this? How would you support yourself at that time? I was working before I left, and then I just decided I ain't going to work. You know what I mean? And I went with a friend. He would gotten off uh, methadone, too, and I'd helped him out during that period of time. So this three months, he's helping me out. So we kind of both supported each other. Uh, And uh, after that three months, I thought it was a good idea to get some energy to do some methamphetamine, and then I jumped in that world. Oh, wow. And I jumped in that world and stayed five to seven days staying up. You know, uh, and people first start snorting it, your nose can't take it, you start smoking it, you get acid reflux, so you're going to start shooting that dope before it's over with. It lasts longer, too. So, and then you sleep two days, you go five or seven, sleep two. So I, I ran through that pattern. How long did that last? Uh, nine, well, I'd say about a year, okay. you know. Wow, it's a tough year. And I talked to my daughter every day. And it was getting sporadically. The last, it was like a month I didn't talk to her. Wow, I was lost. I didn't know it was November because she was trying to reach me to come for Thanksgiving, right? I don't think I even knew it was November. You just you, you like I was out used of there to time and date and all. I that? was out of there, yeah, wow. because you don't even. You know, people that do that drug also, you know, they forget to uh, bathe because one day turns into seven and you just don't realize it. Yeah. After about five days, you start getting a little, you start getting real crazy. So because you're up too much, you start hallucinating and all that stuff. Uh, so she had a friend of mine uh, that I will talk about later uh, that was in that business and uh, tracked me down. So I went for Thanksgiving and then she seen me. I was 185 pounds. Wow. What you weigh right now? Uh, 220. Yeah, a solid 220. Yeah. yeah. And I, I uh, got up to 280 when I first came here too because she looked at me when I was money and said, I got to put weight on you. And then she asked me what I did and I told her and she started crying. She could tell I was out of there. Yeah. You know, uh, she got my granddaughter, put me on my lap and said, Hey, you got somebody to take care of. And uh, my grandsons were there too. And it gave me uh, something to live for, you know? I was also, when I did this, I was looking for, always knew there was something missing, there was a puzzle piece missing, and I tried to fill it with drugs and booze and everything else, and it never fit, you know? So I said, okay, and I stayed sober 30 days. And uh, during that 30 days, I also said, I've had enough of this criminal lifestyle. I looked in the mirror, you know, for a second, I said, oh, no, 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 you know, what's going on? I really didn't look that close. But I said, I've got enough scars on my heart and my, my mind. I have to, I'm done. I can't do it. And I was fried. I was doing a thousand-mile stare through walls and people. i just stare through people, you know, because I'd mixed other drugs with it too. And I'm mentally detoxing off methadone because I didn't give my chance to mentally detox. That's what people don't understand. Mm-hmm. When you do drugs, it changes your reality. Yeah. And all of a sudden, reality hits you.
0: My best friend, is he uh, He got on crystal pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's clean now. He's been clean for some years, but he's still not the same. Like right. he's The the way he thinks and is a little bit different now.
1: It changes you. Uh, that's why, as I told you, the youth said I look like that Walter White fella because I'm yeah. bald and got a beard. <laughs> and uh, I knew that they were watching that show and I knew, I found out about that show by my friend that uh, was actually a dope cook. He was out on Very High Bond and he thought it was kind of funny that uh, they made this show because he was a forklift mechanic and then he was supplying three counties with speed because he's cooking this, you know. So I knew about that life. Uh, and it's ugly, you know, yeah. the end user. Uh, I told a, a story uh, to the youth about it. Uh, man, he's giggling. He just all of a sudden been up to me today, shot his wife and then shot himself, you know, right. out, of, out of nowhere. Um uh, Another story, uh, and I knew these fellas pretty good. They were two brothers, loved each other, but they were dope cooks too. They were down to the last needle, shot, or spike. And that was enough for both of them, but one of them pulled a gun, shot the other one in the foot, and as as the other brothers sitting there on the ground rolling around holding his foot, the guy takes a shot, been up too many days, it was too much, and they lived out in the country. He ran out on a country road, stopped this big old gray Ram pickup, Pulled out his Bowie knife and started stabbing it. He thought it was an elephant. Oh my goodness! True story. And when the cops come, well, they had the stuff that they made the drugs with, and uh, you know, they did prison time. See,
0: and I, and I think you you mentioned something before we started recording. this. like we hear stories like a uh, man shoots his 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 family, mm-hmm. or you know goes on and man goes on a rampage, kills four people, uh, but they never tell the story. True. They never tell the story that this man's been dealing with, you know, been a, up for ten days straight mm-hmm. on whatever kind of drug, and I think that um, we need to hear the story, not just what happened, you know, because then it gives perspective on these young kids. Like, listen, this is this really can happen if you get on this stuff. This is what. You know, this was what could happen.
1: No, I fully agree, and that's another reason why I had to uh, tell them that what that life is about. Because in Breaking Bad, you got a bunch of twenty-year-old hipsters all sitting in an apartment getting high. Yeah, it's not that way. That uh, stuff—it's families uh, that are doing that, and mothers and fathers, and and they're mistreating their kids, and they're beating on each other, and destroys families, and it's ugly, ugly. Yeah, you know, and it's hard to get off of. that's another thing. I got off methadone myself, uh, which a lot of people have been on the program. say, nah, there's no way you got it. Up. But, yeah, because most people have to go to prison or rehab to get off of it. And I gutted it out. And I also put that needle down from shooting at, uh speed. Just, you know, I went through the detox. So, again, I thought I could do anything.
0: So you did know. you do it by yourself? Just yes. lock yourself in a room and
1: just bite down on it? and uh, The method I just stayed in a room on a couch and uh, my best friend which was the ended up being the dope cook that i can't contact by the way because he's 140 pounds and he was big as i was he's estranged from his daughters um which um their godfather they call me uncle doby and i've had to help out you know thank god throughout the years with them as much as i could and he didn't know their birthdays he's lost you know and i can't call him and I can pray for him for a four, and there's a lot of power in prayer. But I can't call him because I don't know how many days he's going to be up, or what he's going to say to me if I call. And I don't want to be involved in none of it, you yeah, know. Yeah. So that that kind of you know really hurts, you know, because we've been close since we've been teenagers.
0: Yeah, and that's something I had to do, you know. When I when I stopped being a part of that that life, I moved to the other side of town, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't want nothing to do with it. I didn't want the influence. I didn't want to, you know, to get any type of conflict over people thinking that I was better than them. And a lot of that comes from that. Like, oh, you're better than me now. That's why you're telling right. me. No, I love you, is why I'm telling you this. Right. But they can't see the love. All they see is they're through the filter of the drug.
1: Right. You know? Oh, oh you're actually a quitter. You
0: yeah, know, yeah. We yeah. don't quit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, so when you, you've. Started uh, the the speed stuff, mm-hmm. the needles. You decided— uh, Which I
1: said I'd never do, by the way.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, that's one thing. I said I would never do needles. I never smoke crack. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I never did those things. Yeah. I remember one time I was like an inch away from a crack pipe.
1: And I put it down. Never did crack. I was. Yeah. I had a friend of mine already lose his house, his business, and everything in six months doing it. When back in the early nineties, I was like, "Oh no, yeah, we're
0: not doing that." Boys. But, hit but that well, I, everything else is
1: open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, i to slam these twenty pain pills uh, a day, but you know, I don't want to do
0: with that. Yeah, we all got standards. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. Oh yeah. Insanity.
0: Yeah. Um, so you got off the you got off the speed, the needles, all those things. I got off
1: of it, and I was sober thirty days, and then. Uh, like I said, I'm a bill collector by trade, but I had to go to Walmart. Uh, I got a job at Walmart and their warehouse I had to build my body back and my mind because I you know, my mind was jumbled. And I, I even thought, I said, man, you didn't fried yourself. Okay. You finally fried yourself mm-hmm. you know?" because I had a high tolerance for drugs, done a mass amount of drugs. But I said, okay, you're done. But through that three months, I started drinking, you know, and then I kept drinking and then here come the painkillers. Uh and here we go. You wow. know. Back 30 on the train. Days, yeah, back on the train. 30 days of uh, sobriety and clarity, as much as clarity I could get. And then the drinking started. So, w-
0: what do you think started the drinking? Boredom
1: again? Uh, that was just a way of life. Yeah, that's all you Partying, need. that's all yeah. I knew it was yeah, partying. You you know? I remember when I turned 45, my daughter, uh, going a little head, said, Look, Dad. Uh, you just turned 45. She had had some problems at the house, uh, somebody messing with her car on the weekends and I'd just go over there on the weekends and sleep in a chair with a shotgun in my thing because I got tired of somebody messing around the house. And, um, uh, you know, I was always over the house. I'd be popping by and I remember, uh, right before I turned 45, I'd went over there and after a night of hell raising at a bar knocked on the door and said, everything okay over here? I was out of there. I was blotto drunk. And I was on my motorcycle, always blood all drunk. And she says, yeah, dad, everything's fine, you know. Uh, we're watching TV. She was staying at uh, her uh, old stepdad's house because we, uh, which is my third, uh, which is my first ex-wife, third ex-husband, we're best friends. Because he's got a daughter too, but we're really good friends. That's who I got the black motorcycle with the flames. Uh-huh. But uh, I said, okay. So I just, you know, Decided, uh, I lived two miles from her. I decided to pull a gun, and I'm sitting there blowing out streetlights on the way home on my motorcycle, you know. And she knows I done raised hell at the bars, and she knows I'm now I'm pulling guns, shooting stuff, street streetlights, but I was always doing crazy things, you know. And she called me the next day, Are you okay? Yeah, I said, I'm okay. But then that's when she said, hey, you're 45, you know.
0: So from the time, how old, were you, how old was you when uh, you got off the, the, the needle?
1: Oh. <sighs> Maybe my time, the timelines are pretty rough. Yeah. It was 2009.
0: I was about
1: 36. No, no. Let's see here, 65. So mid 30s. I was in my, uh, Upper 30s.
0: Okay. So upper you're, 30s. So you was in your late 30s?
1: Maybe around 40.
0: Okay. Know? And and the, the whole lifestyle is still the same over and over again. So just okay. hell raising.
1: You know what I told her when she said, you know, you're 45. When are you going to stop it? I said, "When well, I'm dead. Yeah. Because that's the only person that I knew how to be. Yeah. You know, and that was before the fall of a, another charge. Yeah. A couple years later, I got jammed up again. And that's how I came here. Okay, so, yeah. So, um,
0: how old were you then? Uh, let's see. I was forty-eight. So she challenged you when you was forty-five, mm-hmm. and you still see no way out. You you just understood a, a certain lifestyle. You've been living it for uh, thirty-five years because you started at ten. Uh-huh. You know, so you're living this this crazy, fast lifestyle, raising hell, um, doing these these jobs. Uh, you know, randomly to for a little extra income here and there. Um, your normal bar fighting and protecting of your family and, and letting overly some, family. over overly yeah right and really letting the enemy use some of the the good foundations mm-hmm. things that your that your um, dad had taught you because those are good great foundations. Yeah. Uh, but let the enemy take those and kind of like. Uh, magnify them and, and use them for his own good.
1: Well, I realized I believed every lie the devil told me.
0: Yeah. And then here you are at 45. Now you got a grown daughter challenging you. Right. When you going to grow up? She got tired of it. She was
1: belling me out of jail. She had a, uh, I always gave her a second debit card. You know, she was just tired of it. But we loved each other unconditionally. Yeah. She knew uh, we backed each other right or wrong. She was the only one who could grind on me when I messed up, you know. Yeah uh, when she was a teenager, I remember she, uh, trying to pluck my nerve talking about joining a gang. I said, Oh, uh, she goes, what would you do if I joined a gang? I said, well, I'll put it nicely. I'll ghost them mall in a week. There wouldn't be no gang. And she goes, you would. And I said, you know, you bet I would. And she just giggled. She just knew who I was. She knew I was wild. And, uh, but when I told her that when I die, she goes crazy, don't die, dad. That was her reply when wow. I had a brush with death. She goes, crazy don't die, Dad, because wow. we're still here. And my mom and you know, my ex-wife, she's off the chain, too. Wow. So she understood exactly who you were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she loved me anyway.
0: Yeah. So you catch this next case, which is a pretty wild case. We're not even going to talk about. Um,
1: yes. And and the only way I got probation from that is. Uh,
0: and I just trust me, guys. This is a, a pretty wild one uh, right. that he shouldn't have really. Like, you shouldn't even be seeing daylight from this this side of the gate.
1: No, I shouldn't have. Uh, The 95 one uh, was rejudicated. It's a special case where they can't hold it against you. Shows that you were charged, but if you finish probation, they can't hold it against you. So this next one I got uh, was also a felony, and the only way that I got probation was my first attorney that represented me in 95. He had cancer, and I paid him in full, and he died. What was his name? Toby Boyer. Okay, no, okay. I had a, I had
0: an attorney the same way, uh, and represented uh, Calvin. If you all listen listening to that podcast, and he he died too, so
1: he didn't have an associate. Okay, so all that money went to the went away, and the bar uh, state bar said, "Oh, fall against the estate." Now nah, Toby was good people. I'm not gonna mess with his family. So I hired another attorney, and Fred Milot. And he said, oh, I had heart problems. I understand your first attorney died, but I got an associate. He goes, but I got this heart problem under control. Well, six months into the case, Toby died six months, and then Mr. Milot died six months. Uh, he had a heart attack. I called and said, oh, my God, what is going on here? You know, And his associate took it over. Uh, uh, Brock White, good guy. And uh, I was on the docket for so long, they were saying 10 years, 10 years. We're not, you know. And my daughter's going to court with me every yeah. time, too. And a new DA came in, a young guy. Uh, it looked like Buddy Holly had glasses. And he didn't want it on his docket. So he said, five years probation. I said, what do I sign? Wow. That's the only way I got up because they had me dead to rights. Wow. Uh, dead to rights. Wow. Um, so what,
0: what is the lifestyle? Like? Did, did that wake you up?
1: That woke me up. Uh, I decided that, see, I'd stopped all these drugs, but the booze the last year before between 47, and 48, I couldn't stop drinking. And that made me very angry that I couldn't stop. I'd say, okay, because before I do something crazy and I say, I'm not going to drink for a few weeks, but I'd be, you know, two, three days, I'd be drinking and it locked into me and I couldn't stop. And I knew I couldn't stop, and it made me really depressed. I was mad at myself because a man should be able to yeah. you know, stop.
0: So, so did the probation, it, did that kind of make you kick the drugs because you wanted to stop. I out kicked
1: everything. Right when I got bonded out uh, as I was fighting this case, I went to AA. And guess who I had uh, asked to help keep me sober? God.
0: <laughs> here he comes again. Here Sir, here he comes, come back.
1: And I asked uh, to help you know, keep me sober, and he turned off that switch you know, wow. for me. And that's where the relationship really started, and then— Because
0: uh, AA, AA really pushes you to a higher power.
1: AA. yes, okay. both of them, second step. Yeah. So uh, that's where it started, and then uh, there was somebody that came here that told me to uh, come by here for community service. They gave me a bunch of community service. I met Pastor Nolfo. By
0: here being Elam Church? Yeah, Elam Church, uh uh-huh.
1: yeah. Okay. And uh, that started uh, five— and a half to six year uh, wake up.
0: So this was six years ago mm-hmm. uh, when when you was on probation.
1: Uh, I got off probation a few years ago. I okay. caught the case in two thousand thirteen. A year and a half. It took so me ten to fight years. Me it. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Yeah. So ten years. So ten years. Well, it was ha- two thousand sixteen when I came here. So four. That was six.
0: Yeah. Okay. So and you was kind of just bouncing in and out, trying to figure out your faith, trying to. Tackled these demons that you had and, and just really trying to find out who you were.
1: Right. Well, what happened also when I got sober, I looked at myself in the mirror, you know, and I remember that little kid at 10 years old. And I looked in the mirror and I said, My God, what have I become? Well, wow. I still got a good heart for my family. Yeah. That was the only redeemable quality for me. But the rest of it, you know, I was a barbaric savage, you know, ruthless as hell.
0: Like society didn't see you for who you were.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, and I thought, Well, God, why'd you leave me? Why did you leave me? me alive, you know, uh, I said, I guess it's to protect my family, you know, and make sure cause the world's, you know, we're living in a wild world. So, but as I came in the evolution of, uh, listening to Pastor Mark, Pastor in showed me amazing amount of patience encouragement and love. And I was coming in and out and, uh, still going to AAA.
0: So what did that process look like in your faith? Like you would come in for a little while and then you would drop off back to drinking
1: or never, no. never stop drinking? or uh, No, you? I stopped. I did stop drinking. Okay. Uh, but uh, it was a slow process, of them scales coming off my eyes for sure. And what happened is, is after like the seventh year, a couple of years after I was off uh, probation, I ended up getting in a relationship and got my a year uh lightning bolt relationship, you know, one of those, like the Godfather said, the lightning bolt hit both of us and got my heart broke. And I hadn't dealt with that in years and years, so I started dealing with it the way I used to deal with it. I started drinking, and my mom, my, my daughter was angry about it. Too. Oh, wow. And then um, I chilled out a while, and then I started dating somebody else that liked to drink and smoke, uh, you know, herb and uh I thought, well, yeah, I can be around her. I won't drink. You know, come on. If you go to the barbershop, you're going to get your hair cut. Yeah. You know, so of course, and dealing with a bunch of people drinking and you're not drinking on a continual basis, you're like, I might as well have a drink because these people are irritating me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I started drinking, you know, uh, playing Russian roulette with a, a beer bottle uh, because it brings things out things that on my personality, it's not good, you know. Yeah. So uh, that happened. And the last time I drank, uh, with this woman, I said, "Okay, it's, uh, we got into an argument. We were in another city, and I went and stayed in my car for the night. When I did not want to escalate I don't want to argue, uh, and I had a lot of time to think. I even uh, reached out to Brother David, you know, on uh, Facebook Messenger. David, I said,
0: uh, David Norman?
1: Uh, no, uh, David Delatore Okay, and." Uh, I said, okay, it's, it's time I do something. You know, either I'm going to put both feet in this walk. Uh, and I didn't really understand how to do that because I thought the mentalities that I still had, I had them to protect my family from the world and, and everything. But the relationship that I was in, I made a decision that, you know, I can't do it because God told me you can't do this. You know, this has all been a process. When I actually got on my knees and asked God to change me, uh, it was after I was off probation, after the heartbreak and me drinking every now and then. That's when I got on my knees and asked God to change me, because I I knew I couldn't change myself. I was. You
0: know. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but do you feel like that was the first time you actually surrendered to God?
1: Oh, 100.
0: Yeah, because I'd always tell that,
1: him, "I'll do it. Yeah, I'll change.
0: Get me out of this situation, then I'll I'll, I'll change. I'll change. Yeah." And uh, this time it was different.
1: Different. You know, you tell a man that he can't do something, he's going to try to go lift, uh, get up under a truck and lift it for mm-hmm. you. Uh, and I'm from the John Wayne era, you know, biker, you know, man can do anything. But I finally realized I couldn't do it myself. You know, I tried so many years and I really tried. Uh, but brokenness, uh, addiction, and everything, lifestyles, it's like uh, holding on to a wild horse. Each brokenness by the rain and it starts dragging you. And all of them, and I had so many reins I was holding that they start dragging. And once I let go, chaos, and I knew that chaos was coming, you know. So I didn't want to break my uh, grandkids' heart, my daughter's heart by getting put in prison uh, or by dying this time. But God told me that, you know, that little voice in me said, okay, this is enough. You've been going to church for five-something years, and you're not ignorant of the Word anymore. You never went to church, really. You didn't understand, but guess what you do now? So what are you going to do? This is time to put up or shut up and do something.
0: How did it make make you feel? Did it make you feel less than when you were surrendering to something
1: else besides, you know? No, it it, it gave me some hope. Okay, very cool. You know, uh, because I am who I am. It is what it is. That's a cop out. You know, you don't want to change, really. You still think you can. But I was looking for some hope Uh, because I knew I was getting wound up again. I knew I was about to act out. So uh, when I asked God to change me, I said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. See, Mm -hmm. I've learned enough. Yeah. And he went into the, uh, because I was raised with, uh, you know, if somebody hurts your family, you go after their family. It's a blood feud. And that was the first thing I had to tackle, that mentality. And I remember, you know, him saying, hey, look, my son died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and the world's. And I didn't destroy the world, and I could have. I said, and you doing all this, and it seems very elementary now, but he goes, you doing all this, you know, going out and hurting nine or ten people, male members of the other family. I said, all you're doing is putting yourself in hell. You'll never see your family member again. Mm-hmm. And the, the person that robbed you of your family member, if they hurt him." Then they robbed you of your family member on this existence, but you're about to rob yourself from the family member on the next existence for eternity. Yeah. I said, snap, you know, life is like a mist in the midnight air, you know? Yeah. So I said, okay, God, I'll trust you with my family. Wow. I said, I'm going to trust you for vengeance and justice to see that. That's important.
0: <laughs> I, uh, is very important. I, I had a struggle with, always felt like Christians were weak, you know? and I, I i never knew what it looked like to be a strong man mm-hmm. and because you know forgiveness and you got to be you know a little bit more passionate right. and, and, and you know and a little bit more but my youth pastor pastor keenan you know he was part of the power team and he would break bricks and ice and and when i when i started thinking about it is i can be a man's man i can be a strong leader and, yes. and be a little bit more rough around the edges and still be a Christian. You yes. know, uh, when I look at you, I look at you and say, you can be a Christian too, even though that you have that little bit of a, a rougher edge to, yes. you know, and absolutely.
1: Uh, you gotta be your You gotta be you. Yeah. I can't be you and you can't be me. That's
0: right. That's well, right. That
1: Pastor Nofo says that all the
0: time. Yeah. And then I think a lot of times that people feel like they have to change who they are fundamentally, uh, who they are, Um, to to become saved. And I don't think that's what God has called us. God will change our nature. Mm -hmm, Yes. But he's called us to be who we are. Right. You know, he's called us to be exactly who we are, and he'll change our nature, um, but we can still be a man's man if that's who he called us to be.
1: Exactly. Uh, I I fully agree with you, and I kind of struggled with that. I'm the type of person... I used to tell anybody, especially if I was in a mood, I'd tell you, no filter, I'd just pop off and just tell, I don't care how crazy it was, i was just just you know, get on my nerves. Oh, I'm so I, me too. <laughs> and, I, and I got to not used to wearing a mask, because you see, when people will wear a mask or they lie, then they fear. Yeah. You know, they feared something. And through my life experiences, especially my mother's personality, I got to where I just didn't fear no man or no animal, because if it kills me, then I'm going to kill you and I used to think that, uh, you know, I'm going to die and maybe I'll get some peace finally. Wow. Well, you see, I learned that, you know, I wasn't going to get no peace and yeah, God, God snapped me to that too. So. so
0: what did that, what was that struggle over the next few years? Like, okay, I'm, I'm finally submitting to God. It, this it, is the thing it, is like. It, it-, it
1: actually happened kind of fast. It took about eight months uh, of this to happen. The family vengeance came up. I trusted God with that. And, and for the vengeance and justice. And I started understanding more, more of my eyes were coming open. And then a personal matter came up that I took an offense to. And I used to tell people, I got the biggest heart you've ever seen. I said, and I'll do anything for you, but you turn me, then you're going to think I'm the devil himself. Mm-hmm. You know, as big as my heart is, I was going to be a flip on the script. And I took personal offense and I start with the psychological warfare. I start trying to get uh, people come after me. Uh, you know? Because so. if you can get them come after you, then it's, like, it's not... It's self Yeah. So, uh, and I was all twisted and they weren't coming after me. <laughs> and uh, so now, I'm thinking about going on the uh, offense. I'm not sleeping. Okay? Uh, and the spirit of vengeance, though, got me. Mm. The old person got me. And there is a spirit of vengeance. Believe that. And I remember I'd sent my daughter a copy of my debit card, actually, right before I went into Elam to see Pastor Nofo Friday night. And she said, what's that for emergency? She already knew it was for my bond or commissary because, you know, and I'm on that tipping point. She knows not to, okay, well, Dad's going to, you know. So I told Pastor Nofo what was going on and went up to the altar. And uh, you could tell I wasn't sleeping. And he said, look, he said, you know, you want forgiveness. And God will forgive you, but you gotta forgive others. Mm. Otherwise, you're not gonna, it doesn't work that way. You've gotta forgive others. You gotta pray and look at their brokenness. They didn't intentionally do this. See, most of the time people hurt you, they don't intentionally do it. It's unintentional, it's their brokenness. And it's not about you, it's them. Mm. And through their brokenness is the reason why they hurt you. Yeah, they say,
0: uh, heal people, heal people, you know, broken people, break
1: people. Right you know exactly so. so and then he said look at my brokenness in the situation oh but he said you have to forgive them you know uh he said that's the only way you're gonna get any peace because he knew wow. i didn't come here for heaven yeah i came here for some peace i and i said okay. wow i said okay man uh you know I, I, he goes you're gonna have to forgive them now my, i'd already talked to my brother about it and he said yeah you got to forgive them i done I hate to say it, I didn't cussed him out. I went off him. <laughs> uh, I contacted da- uh, Brother David. Uh, trying to
0: find somebody to and, agree with you.
1: And Brother David <laughs> said, man, you know you got to forgive him. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, but that spirit of vengeance had me. So uh, Pastor Nofo, you know, said, go home, get some sleep, wake up, and and forgive them. And when I did, it was a mountain lift off of me, man. And every time I would think something negative, I'd say, No, I got to pray for their brokenness. I hope they're happy and, and that, you know, their brokenness. And I looked at my brokenness in the situation, which, ooh, didn't like that. Uh, but uh, that taught me a lesson. And, uh, you know, and God worked with me. And believe me, I had to pray. The, the old Dobie was no way going to forgive nobody. Yeah. I lived by the grudge. But God helped me uh, do that, uh, you know. Uh, and,. I couldn't do it myself, so the I let it go. You know, the personal vengeance and understanding. The the hardest thing to do is love thy neighbor, uh, especially when they got an attitude that irritates you. But most, it's most time, it's not about you; it's them, man.
0: Yeah, Pastor Keenan said when we're doing our our three D love conference, we're dealing with relationships. And uh, he was he was saying, "Was you here when he was yes. there?" He no,
1: was no, like, no, no. I he's here, but when you did it, it
0: oh yeah, he said, um, "You know, you're always saying that my my spouse is not meeting my needs." And right. he, he was just like, "Well, why is it always about you?" You know, Ooh. you're being selfish. You right. know, and and we are selfish people.
1: The Sun didn't rise just for you; it rose for all of yeah, us. And yeah, uh, yeah, I tell my daughter that because she, you know, and my granddaughter now. Sometimes she, you know, she thinks the world rotates around her, yeah. and. and It does for me, but, you know.
0: So where's that switch now, that one that would flip and you would, like, go off on people?
1: Well, you know, uh, the third thing was about that relationship. Okay, yeah. The third thing was about that relationship that I was in, and he said, look, you've got to let go of this relationship. He goes, you've already asked her to come to the church doors, and she won't. So did you love her, or was she just familiar? Uh, I was falling in love with her. okay. Uh, she was a good person. Uh, she had a lot of experiences like I had. Yeah. And But she still wanted to, you know, have one foot in the, in yeah. the life and, you know, do her partying, and I couldn't be around it. So I, that was very—I had to pray a lot to let that go. And God said, well, let it go, and I'll put a good, godly woman in your life. Mm. Trust me for that. But you have to be a good, godly man. See, everybody wants a good, godly uh, woman, but how are you going to act? Yeah. So I said, I'll trust you for that. And I said, well, why am I giving him pieces of trust here? I said, I'm going to trust you with everything. I'm going to, every morning I wake up, I'm going to ask you to do your will, not mine, because Dobie can't act right. Mm. Uh, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, give forgiveness. I'm going to put both feet in this walk. I'm going to volunteer at church and, you know, uh, I'm trying to help people lead to you for your glory, because Dobie has no glory. Dobie can't act right again, you know act like a human being uh, without God's help. Uh, And, you know, I said I surrender. That's when I finally submitted. I said, okay, I've had enough. I I can't do it.
0: That's when you submitted everything. Submitted everything. So before you just submitted some things.
1: Giving him pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And and I was getting pieces that came along, too. Yeah. Like, you know, and then all of a sudden, just kind of the world moved. All of a sudden, I just got peace beyond understanding. And another thing... And then I, my sound mind came, but I also got to forgive myself for my past, knowing that I had nothing else in my heart or bad intentions in the future towards if somebody missed my family or miss me. I forgot to forgive myself, man, and it was it was freeing.
0: Man, I tell you, that's a a, a huge part of uh, living a, a new lifestyle mm-hmm. is forgiving yourself. There's yeah. so many people that are bound. Uh, and the devil uses it because they won't forgive themselves. They'll forgive the world, right? But they won't forgive themselves.
1: And that's and that's where I was, you know. And and I've been church and you know. And the devil will come and say, "Oh, look at all the things you did." And I'll be like, "Ah, get out of here, devil!" You yeah, know, you know, because he's always messing with you.
0: Yeah. So what is that switch? Have you have you experienced that switch? The coming close to it since that you've totally. You have
1: to scratch pretty hard. Uh, to get the person to yeah. wake up. See, that's another thing. God didn't take it out of me. He put it to sleep. Mm. See, I learned that, that that old self of yours is asleep. Now, if I'm over there watching violent movies, especially movies about revenge or about the life and, and, and all these crime things, then I'm feeding it. You Ooh. know, uh, there's, so good. there's an old American uh, Indian saying, Pastor Norfolk puts it different, But this grandson was talking to his grandfather, and the grandfather said, there's two dogs in us. You know, uh, one is, uh, you know, greed, uh, jealousy, and a bunch of other bad things. And the other one is love and, uh, you know, all the positive things in life. And uh, they're always at battle with each other, Mm okay? Okay. And then the grandson, you know, asked the grandfather, he goes, which one uh, wins? And he said, well, it's the one that you feed. Hmm. So he said, I make sure I don't feed that person that's asleep, yeah. you know. Uh, but, yeah, you have to scratch pretty hard. Um, usually it's frustration over uh, technology. Now I'll start cussing. <laughs> and uh, then that's when I got to pull back, you know. And I'd get mad for days about stuff. And now five minutes, last experience was about five minutes, I went off the train <laughs> my brothers were just looking at me. And, uh, and then I had to apologize for God, you yeah. know, and ask him to help me with my frustration. But this is after I'd been on the computer seven hours, and it wouldn't. I was trying to get some cryptocurrency, and my codes wouldn't work. Seven hours. So. Wow. So uh, I don't want any personal conflict. Yeah. Man, a, last thing I want is a conflict with someone. So
0: do you see it before it comes down? Yes. And you know when they eject?
1: Yes, it's also my responses. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have no filter. Even my grandson said, you just say whatever you want to to people. Well, you know, uh, it all mattered the mood. But now I think before I speak, and, uh, you know, I don't have that in me. I, I don't yeah. want that. I'm not moody. I don't want that conflict. Uh, you know It's wisdom,
0: too. The Lord's giving you wisdom now to look yes. at situations different.
1: Oh, much, uh, very much like I try to tell my grandkids, hey, don't go to a bar, you know, nothing happens to get at a bar, nothing happens to get at midnight. Uh, and there's certain times that, you know, I go to the convenience store, if it's too late, I won't go, yeah. you know. Uh, it's just, you know, I carry myself a certain way, but I don't want uh, conflict, you know. Usually people leave me alone you know, in droves. So, yeah. which is good. I mean, yeah. you,
0: you look like a tough guy. So most, most people are not going to just come out and pick a fight with you. Right. Unless you're in certain scenes. Right.
1: right. That right. I put myself yeah. in.
0: Right. So. Right. So what of the last year and a half? I mean, it's been a, a road of recovery. Mm-hmm. It's been a, a road, uh, you know, less traveled in your life. Right. You know, um, you have 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 you had ups and downs? Um, so just speak to some, you know, a little bit about that because I know a lot of people they get on that they they surrender, mm-hmm. and then the first time that they have a struggle, you know, they're right back to right. where they were. Uh, just share a little bit about you know those, sure. the, that that part of it.
1: I remember when I first gave my testimony at the main church. Uh, it was on a Sunday at 6. You blew
0: all the wigs off the old people on that yeah.
1: one. <laughs> yeah, <what> I did. <laughs> and Pastor Mark, when I was coming out, Pastor Mark said, hey. You we got know, a little bit more detail on that uh, one than detailed, we did yeah, Yes, yes, yeah. we did. And he said, hey, the devil's going to come after you because that was a good testimony. And I thought, oh, yeah, the devil's been after me all my life. And then I snapped later, well, the devil had me all my life, you know. Uh, and he was right. Right after that testimony, thing started popping out of the woodwork. And every time I've given a testimony or a devotional or the testimony uh, last Wednesday, things pop out of the woodwork. Well, it, Women yeah. pop out of the woodwork that I haven't heard from that want yeah. to well, you know, relate. When
0: you're a threat to the enemy, that's what he's going to come after. When you start teaching and, yes. and preaching and yes. those type of things, oh, now you're a threat. So guess what?
1: And he's, I tell my brother, too, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's a spiritual attack, man. I tell him, you know, but it happened. Every time. And uh, it's real, but uh, I had a brother tell me, he said, well, the devil comes at you, but he comes at you with the old same old stuff. Yeah. And so he knows, you know, what my deal is. And I know that uh, I can't, uh, you know, always live the life that way, but, uh, you know, I'm asking God to put a good woman in my life, and I can't go sleeping with uh, you know, anybody else because he's not going to bless that. That's, yeah. that's wrong, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, so it's time to walk the walk. If you're going to talk, talk walk the walk, right? You know. So I've had to blow all that off. But it's funny how that always hits. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, just, we we have to understand order, right? And right. a lot of times when we're living on the wild uh, side of life, that uh, there's not a lot of order in it. You no, know, it's, it's just chaos. it's chaos, right? And then when we come and we understand what God is trying to do in our life, there's an order to it, and He has to align certain things up. And it's like. Um, building a skyscraper, you don't start with the top floor, right? You know, you start with the basement, exactly. And then there's an order to the process, and you, yes. you build the, you know, the foundation and the structure, and then you know, then you get into you know, decorating, right? You know, and all of those things have to happen in in a, in a certain, uh, in a certain order, and that's what God does in our life. And sometimes, uh, especially when it comes to females, uh, we try to get that thing out of order, you know, right. because. There's certain things inside of us drive drive it that God put in it. He yes. put he put it in, in us to to go out and repopulate this world and and have more soldiers out there for Him. Right. Um, but sometimes we get that out of order because that 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 drives a little bit harder than some other things.
1: Right. And and when, when that happens, and I've already you know it brings heartbreak. You don't see the red flags. You, yeah. you meet somebody starts sleeping with somebody right away. And I've tried to tell my grandson this. I uh, so you don't see the right flag, uh, red flags, all of a sudden you have a child, It it just, you know, or, you know, the, the lust ends, and then you're dealing with somebody you really don't get along with, you don't know. Right uh, Now, that was before my walk. Now, I know that, uh, you know, in this walk, I have to put uh, God first, her second, yeah. she has kids, you know, uh, third, of course, and I understand all those things. You know, right. before I didn't, it was just about me, you know, and... Uh, yeah, financial making money, and I to be able to do what I want to do, which I never ran around on my wives. I was married twice, but you know I was partying. You know, my daughter came first, partying came second, and third they came. You know, and right. that was my fault. Uh, so yeah, it's it's and then trying to figure out who I was and my identity. You know, as uh, as a Christian, we're all family, and I thought well. You know we're all family here at Elam, and and everybody makes you feel like family for sure, because uh, we are. We're all on the same path. And I thought, where am I going to fit in? You know, here. Uh, and I thought, well, I guess I'm just one of that kind of like that uncle in everybody's family that's crazy and wilding and all the time. You know, and everybody's praying for him that they'll change one day. But you know, when trouble comes, that's who they call. Yeah. But uh, and finally he's seen the light, and here he is. Yeah. Know?
0: So what was your identity before
1: Christ? Ooh, uh, I was a good father, good grandfather, and a very ruthless and vicious person with everybody else. I had to get to know uh, know people, uh, and once I got to know them, it was okay. But everybody else, you know, I looked at it that everybody else was, uh, other than women and children, especially men, I looked at it, hey, Weakness, you know, uh, and I never judged people by their skin color, what they did, their money or anything. I thought, I'll judge people by a survivor. Are you ruthless enough or can you be violent at a drop of a hat? Mm. And that's who I associated with. And that's who I thought I was, you know. Uh, when I, especially when I got sober, I didn't like that person, uh, that other side of me, but I didn't know what to do about it. Hmm. you know. Yeah. What's your identity now? My identity is first I'm a Christian, you know. Uh not a, really a biker. I'm just a Christian that's had a lot of experiences, uh, that their prayers getting answered regarding their family, you know, starting to come to church. But first and foremost a Christian and living this lifestyle and being peaceful. Right. Peace. Mm-hmm. That's it, you know. I know there's Christian bikers, et cetera, you know, and I love riding bikes, don't get me wrong. And I even starting to wear a helmet, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's different, that's different. And, uh, you know, I also had to get used to the riding the motorcycle and doing this walk because it would bring out some things in me, you know, just riding. I was always loaded. Uh, even when I got sober off methadone, I had to learn, relearn how to ride my bike because mm. I was going I was like what's wrong with my bike I would pull over and just look at it said, something like right well reality was different it the road different everything
0: the feel and the, the sound, sound. The the, and yeah. it brings
1: out things some uh, <laughs> out of my whole personality that I had to deal with too so I'm you know I figured that out uh but a Christian first and foremost and somebody that wants to be a family man you yeah. know that's what I am what what do you what do you want the people to know um
0: about your experience. You know, we talk about, you know, especially in testimonies, we let know people where where we've been. Mm-hmm. We spent some time on where we are now. But what do you want them really to know?
1: I want them to know that first, uh, if you really want to change, you're going to have to ask God to help you change. You don't have the power to do it. I think that's why a lot of men don't. Uh, there's more women in church other than here, it's pretty close ratio, but a lot of churches, it's mostly women. Yeah. Uh, because men think they have the power to change. You don't have the power to change. Only God can change you. And you have to ask, and you have to ask wholeheartedly. And asking is the first part. second part is that he will tell you how to change, and he'll help you change, but you have to follow his lead. Yeah. And not hold on to everything. Uh, I, I think that's the most important. So... Um, also, it's never too late to change. You know, I did. A, I finally put both feet in this walk at 55 years old, and uh, it, it's never too late to change. That's it. And hopefully, I can help people not wait until they're 55 because yeah. I've beat the odds. I'm still alive. You know, God bless. God has shown me an amazing amount of mercy and grace, and actually blessed me along the way. Uh, and it's all, you know, all the way that I did also, all the things that I did, there was no glory in it. There's a lot of pain and suffering and all that, you know, feeding your brokenness. I was like a kid, you lock in a candy store for 30 years and come out with diabetes, but I had diabetes of the soul. Mm. Uh, mm, that's so good. Yeah. And I, I look back at that, who I was and I got a sound mind and all the rationalizations and justifications, which is what you're doing is lying to yourself. Yeah. Okay. So you can feed your brokenness. And I want people to understand that, you know, there's a little voice inside of us, too, okay? That little voice is God telling you, don't take that turn to that dope man's house. Don't take that call from that person, you know, they're not good for you, et cetera, et cetera, is to listen to that voice, especially when you're on this walk. God will talk to you, but you have to listen, you know, yeah. and then do what he says. What do you,
0: what do you think the biggest—I know you kind of just covered that, but it just sparked a, a thought process in my uh, in my head— um, people that are dealing
1: with addiction, first of all, you have to ask God to help you, yeah, Can't you on your own. and and he's the only one that can turn the trigger off. you know, and you have to look at your triggers. You know, when I got first got sober, I didn't listen to Metallica on Fridays nights because that's when I would really I'd party all week long, but that was when I'd really let it go. Friday and Saturday, I wouldn't I wouldn't go certain by certain bars. Uh, I see when I got sober, also I moved with my daughter and helped her raise my grandkids. So I spent all my weekends doing that. Uh, cause she worked uh, at the post office at the time. She still does, but, uh, it's, it's important to do something positive with your time, watch out for the triggers, but first foremost, you have to ask God to help you, uh, Every day, you got to make that choice to ask Him to help you.
0: Yeah, I think what you said right there is is really I, There's got to be some like deep soul searching, mm-hmm. right? When you look at your triggers, you look at those things because <clears throat> as Christians, sometimes we do get like too, like way too spiritual. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not. I'm not like saying that we don't need to be spiritual, but a lot of times we're like, okay, God, you have to do it all. Right, you know, but that's not what you know. Oh no, we have to do our part, and he'll do the rest. Right, yes, sir. Yeah, and and as as people that have been addicted to things, we have to really do some soul searching and say, okay, what is, what is causing some of these things? Right, I was just telling Pastor Mark this morning. Uh, I was, you know, dealing with some weight, you know, and and my thing is Shipley's Donuts, mm-hmm. you know, and I will drive a totally different way so I don't have to pass the Shipley's Donuts, I you understand. know. Uh, so we have to identify those things because if I eat one, I'm going to eat six That's- every breakfast for the next ten days, yeah. you know. Uh, but it's the same thing with anything else that we have to find out what those things are and do our part to stay away from them. Understand when the enemy is using those things. Yes that it's the enemy yes. trying to come against us, to try to make us fall, um, and, and deal with them. Right. You know, we have to deal with some of that, that broke, like you were saying earlier, that brokenness. Uh, if we don't deal with the brokenness, it's always going to be broke.
1: Yes, and it's going to deal with you.
0: Yeah, and it will yeah. deal with you. Yeah. Um, what have you seen the biggest change in the people around you, your loved ones, since you've been walking the
1: walk? The biggest chain is I'm I'm not off the chain at times, you know. Uh, I'd be watching, and I don't watch a lot of the news because it irritates me. But you know, if somebody hurts some a woman on TV, I'd say, well, they need to chop his head off and put it on the uh, put it on a pike in front, uh, you know, on the steps of the Uh, 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 the county courthouse, like the Roman soldiers. And I just (laughs) boom, and you know, and my grandkid be like, okay, (laughs) you know, Grandpa's on one. it would frustrate me, uh, you know. That that people still do that. So it's mostly my attitude. Uh, that's they seen the big change in me. Uh, and I think before I speak to people, I you know, and I don't. Uh, me and my daughter are just alike. Uh, <laughs> and. She, we both like to mess with each other, push each other's buttons. But, I, you know, I, I don't argue with her back because it's pointless, you know. But I used yeah. to like to argue with her. I mean, that was, you know. Yeah, that was y'all's thing. And uh, I'm just not crunk yeah. like I used to be. And I don't go zero to 100 crazy, you know, and I don't talk to people crazy. And uh, Have you seen that
0: a, a change in their life since you're not that way?
1: Yes, they're starting to uh, come to church, and they've seen the change within me. Uh, and they're starting to come to uh, my granddaughter coming to Wednesday uh, youth group and my grandson. He likes the way Pastor Nolfo, uh preaches. Plus, he don't got to wake up early Sunday. Yeah. So he gets to listen to Pastor Nolfo and it makes a lot of sense to him. So he's just now getting his feet in it, too. Uh, so those are prayers answered because that's what I wanted, you know. Yeah. You see, another thing I think that's very important to tell people is, is say, oh, I'm going to change and then go to church. Man, it don't work that way because you ain't got the power to change. Yeah. The only way you're going to change is when you do go to church and ask God to help you. Yeah. That's a big hang up.
0: Yeah. I think, man, that is so good because we don't wait till we get well to go to a hospital. Right. You know? I like that. Um, we, we go to the hospital when we're broke. You exactly. know, we need
1: fixing. So that's the same way we should be with the church. Church is uh, not for saints. You know, it's a hospital for sinners. Yeah. I love that's that thing.
0: What, um, what do you think the the, the thing is that uh, you're struggling with right now? Because, okay, you've been doing this full in 18, mm-hmm. 24 months, something like that.
1: A little bit over a year or something. Like okay.
0: 15, okay, so uh, some might see... And Dobie and Max, like, man, he did it. He's got it all together. What are, what are some of the things you're still struggling with?
1: It's, uh, you never get it. It's something that I have to ask God to help me with daily. Yeah. Because, again, Dobie do not know how to act right. That uh-huh. person's a
0: <laughs> I like the way you say
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> that part, he don't know how to act right. I'm just going to—I don't act right without God. I don't think right without God. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an ongoing evolution uh, for me. I figured out who I am uh, in Christ. And, uh, figured out some of the things that I want to do in the future for God's glory, not mine. Cause like I said, W doesn't have any, he's right. a knucklehead. Right. Um, uh, I struggle with, there's things that I've asked God, you know, for, and I struggle to try to grab the wheel from him and drive the bus, which I push on the gas and take it right over the uh, mountain and crash and burn. And he helps me pick it up. Um, uh, I struggle with, uh, you know, some of that. He's he's fulfilled a lot of the uh, promises and blessed me with my family and uh, gave me peace of mind, which I never had. Uh, but I struggle with uh, trying to take that wheel from him sometimes. You yeah. know, especially you know, ask God, say, "Hey, put a godly word in my life," and I've tried to grab that wheel and then I'm like okay let me, let me throw it back at you. you know let me get my hand off of it. its patience yeah men are not very patient i've never They're been not. patient
0: and it's in god doesn't give us patience he teaches us patience right so that's the struggle with patience
1: you ask god say god give me some patience he's going to put you in a position uh, where you're
0: going to have to use it. that's right that's right that's right what the, what is the thing out there that you're 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 waiting that that, that prayer that you're waiting on
1: uh, getting another family, yeah, you know, and, uh, that, that, that's, you know, that's what I'm waiting on. Yeah. Asking for some patients.
0: Cause you said earlier, earlier on that you, you feel like you're best when
1: you're, oh, I'm best when I'm, uh, I'm making somebody else happy. Yeah. You know, that makes me happy. Taking care of people. Yeah. Taking care of people. That's, yeah. I've got that nurturing side for my dad. You know, he had it and that's the good part of him, you know, and, uh, Yeah, that's that's what I figured. That's what makes me happy. That's why I enjoyed raising my daughter and enjoyed helping raising my grandkids. It's, you know, so I'm always at the best. Even though when they turn turn teenagers, they're. uh, A little rough to Uh deal with. but uh, Imagine what your parents thought. Oh, I was a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I love
0: going to work every single day. I love going to work every single day. So when my wife says, can we do this? I get to say yes. Right. You know, and just give her the things that she's desired, you know, because we both grew up poor and now it's just like we can do whatever we want to do and that, you know, my kids want something, I'm able to give it to them and bless them and uh, I, I love it. Right. You know, and it's not work because what it really is is providing. You know. Right. And I love, man. It's just one of the things. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you want the people to know? I know it might not have went like like you was thinking when you when you came in here.
1: No, I've covered every uh, everything other than, you know, I did use this as an example uh, regarding addiction. You know, and I was worried that. Uh, the youth, some of them are going to get off this path, and it's always personal relationships. So, you got to be equally yoked married, but you also got to be equally yoked with your, yoked with your friendships. Mm, come on. Okay. That's so what they say so, you, you show me your your five best friends, I'll tell you who you are. That's exactly what I said. I yeah. got it from Pastor Ruffold. And uh, I said, if you have a best friend, they're starting a party. I said, you can bring them to church. They don't want to come to church. Well, guess what? You're going to have to push them away, text them some seeds. Uh, if you get with somebody you're attracted to, ask them. Say, hey, what, uh, where do you, uh, you know, I go to church on Sundays. Where do you go to church? If they tell you they don't go to church, ask them to go. Have your first date at church. I'm talking about high school kids. And then if they tell you to go to church, say, oh, okay, what's your uh, favorite uh, passage? They don't have to have the address. Or what's your favorite book? You Because know? yeah. boys lie and, you know. Yeah. So, and if they don't know that, then, you know. Uh, well,
0: they said the best way to, to grow a youth group is to have pretty girls.
1: Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, it's personal relationships. And if, like I said, if they start, because whoever you're with and they start partying and drinking and smoking pot, you're going to drink and smoke pot. I don't yeah. care if you say, oh, I'm so strong in my faith. No, 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 no. You know, you keep along to the barber, you're going to get a haircut. Yeah, so
0: that's, not good.
1: Uh, that's that's the most important thing regarding. I think young people also. You kind of touched on something regarding like the move, like the show Breaking Bad. It shows a certain point, and you said, "Well, why don't it show all the death and then all the families that are destroyed? Because it doesn't make good movies, and that's what fills the teenagers. That's what fills that void of the truth." the romantic side of, of crime and all that it doesn't show the destruction and all the suffering it just hollywood makes you know it romantic and they there show ain't nothing all the, romantic they about
0: show it. all the flashing lights and the loud music in the club and all of the fun having but they don't show 4 years down the road when you're sitting in your basement and your teeth are rotting out of your head uh-huh. and you're and you're depressed and you don't see no way out of it and your family has given up on you because you stole them from them uh-huh. and you've taken everything and you've burned all the bridges they don't show none of that no they just show the the fun parts of the life went when they get started
1: exactly you know also tried to tell them that it's like putting a mouse trap on a table and with a big wedge of cheese and you put a mouse right uh, in front of it, and all it sees is that big piece of cheese, but it doesn't know it's rotten to the uh, thirds the way through, and that's the way addiction is. Mm. And that mouse comes and starts eating it every day, and then he gets to that rotten part, and then that trap snaps down on either their neck, kills them, or it hits them on their back and traps them. Well, that mouse is going to sit there and just eat that cheese, and it, even though it makes them sick, if they don't eat it, it's going to make them sicker. Now, putting that in human form when these young people are on this path, that if they get off the path because of personal relationships, and especially if they got addiction in their blood, and they start partying, well, guess what? They don't ask God to help them with their problems because he is the only solution, and Mm -hmm. they go to that temporary world solution. Then all of a sudden, you know, they think they're having a good time and enjoying themselves, and that trap will come down on them and pop them on the back. And then they've got a problem, yeah. and if they live through it, guess who they're going to ask to take that off of them? Mm. The N-A-R-A. they're going to ask through the second step. Yeah. And but the problem is, is there's a big period of time because they come back full circle, right? They got off the path, and they got in relationships, started partying, they got addiction problems, and now they're addicted, and all their little problems—the reason why that they didn't go to God for—now they've addiction is your biggest problem. And they got a full circle. And in that full circle, there's a massive amount of time lost. A lot of pain and suffering for your family watching you go down the hill. And why do it? You know, because yeah. now they know that two-thirds the way through, that's rotten. Yeah. And it's not going to solve your problems. It's a mm. temporary solution. Wow. That becomes your problem. That's so good.
0: <laughs> Give them some hope before we
1: leave. There is, it doesn't matter what age uh, that uh, you decide to... Uh, Ask God to help you change. I think that is the most important. It doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter the things that you've done. You can ask God to redeem you and restore you. Okay? Um, and he will. But you also... A lightning bolt doesn't come down and strike you and change you. Okay? You have to uh, do... And he'll tell you the steps to follow. And some of them are going to be hard. Okay, you're going to have to lose people in your life. That's right. You have to do it if you want some peace, you know, and put both feet in this walk. And you find you a good church, you know, uh, and find you people that uh, will show you, you know, patience, love, and encouragement. That's what I loved about Elam, you know, and accept you uh, who you are. That's the hope, that there is a way to change. Can't do it. you got to ask God to do it, you know. And again, it doesn't matter your background. So, and God's always there uh, holding a hand. You know, I could even try to take credit for asking God to help me, which I can't because I was like a man that fell off a ship. I'm in 30-foot waves. I'm drowning. And he threw me the life preserver and I grabbed, Mm. you know, and he blessed me enough to keep me alive to be able to grab it, you know. So So good. So okay. there's hope, you know. Uh, yes, and the only thing that there's hope in is God, you know, helping you. That's
0: Yeah. It. Well, very good, man. Hey, I appreciate you stopping by. Yes, sir. I know this is uh we have only had one other uh, interview that went this long. Mm-hmm. It was with Brother Calvin. Uh, so this is definitely going to be a two-parter. Yes, sir. Um, so, but I appreciate you coming by, sh- you know, sharing your story, humility, and, and all of that, and just really to be able to see, like— the redemption that God is having in your life and seeing where you were. you've come a long ways in the in a year in in a half, man, because yes. a lot of people that lived your lifestyle and and how fast you lived uh they don't they don't get to see the redemption part
1: of it well, you're not going to change unless you go through a lot of pain and suffering with your decision yeah and and you hit something also humility, you have to humble yourself before God and ask Him to help you because your pride and yourself, you're not gonna be able to do it. That's right. You waste a lot of time.
0: As I tell everybody there's that we don't go through this pain and suffering for, for no reason at all. Right. We go through it. If we have to go through it, then it's there to help somebody else. And I, exactly. I appreciate it. And that's why I'm doing this. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming by. Thank you, dude. This is the Refuge
1: Project.